insurance money, conspiracy, murder, and a party. This twisted story I'm about to share with you immediately gives me Lori Vallow Daybell vibes. Only the amount of money in this case is so much higher, it's bananas. A 33-year-old Utah woman and mother of three named Corey Richens was recently arrested in the death of her husband, 39-year-old Eric Richens. Corey is accused of spiking Eric's cocktail in March of 2022. She claims she was celebrating a closing on a home as she's a realtor. She made the cocktail, gave it to her husband as the celebratory drink, and he drank it in the comfort of his own bed. And then, according to Corey, she said she went to comfort one of her children in their bedroom because they were having a night terror. She said she later returned and found Eric unresponsive on the floor and called 911. But there are some pretty big holes in her story, which I'll be uncovering in this video. And this wasn't the first time she allegedly tried to kill him. But Corey's arrest comes over a year later after his death. And after she wrote a children's book to help her children about grief. And she gave an interesting interview on TV. But from the looks of it, she had some sort of motive. Was it the insurance money? Was it a brand new $2.7 million home? Was it because of a suspected lover? Let's take a deeper look at what happened the night Eric died and the days surrounding it. So now, let's get into it. Corey and Eric had been married for nine years. They got married in 2013. It's said that they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and have three children who are nine, seven, and five. They live in a small town called Camas, Utah with a population of 2,179 people as of 2021. Corey and Eric were described by Corey's former co-worker as the perfect couple and said that they were naturally in love. But according to Eric's lawyer, Eric had reason to believe Corey was keeping a secret or two and from the looks of it from my point of view possibly 10 or a kajillion. Eric's lawyer Greg Scortis said there were rumors that Corey maintained a relationship with somebody else for pretty much the duration of the marriage. It wasn't something the family ever discussed with Eric or anything that rose above the level of hearsay. Have you heard of any chitter chatter on this? Let me know below. It's such a small town that I wonder what the word on the street was or is. And leading up to Eric's death, Eric considered getting a divorce. His lawyer explained Eric was considering divorce at the time he died. It was something he and Corey had both discussed. They had argued over financial issues and both appeared to be a little more realistic about that prospect. Now in September of 2020, two years prior, Corey spent $250,000 of a home equity line of credit. She withdrew at least $100,000 from bank accounts and spent more than $30,000 using Eric's credit cards. Also taking money from his business, he was setting aside for quarterly taxes of over $134,000, which according to my calculations is over 500 grand. Eric co-founded CNE Stone Masonry, a masonry business specializing in outdoor stonework, pavers, and tile work. He had a close friend and business partner, Cody Wright. The company name represented their initials. Now, Eric confronted Corey and she agreed to pay back the money. By the next month, Eric consulted a divorce and estate lawyer. Also, the lawyer said the sad truth is Eric was worth more to Corey dead than divorced and also said Eric had three reasons why he wanted to stay in the marriage and that was for their three children. The lawyer said he lived for the, his three boys and unfortunately he died for them too. Eric was a good father, he was a philanthropist, he cared about a 
lot of people and he did the best he could to make the most of the marriage. Now let's get into the night he was killed and what the heck happened. Let's start with March 3rd, 2022 at 2100 hours, which is 9 p.m. It was said Corey and Eric were celebrating a closing on a house for Corey's business. As I mentioned, she's a realtor. Corey stated she made Eric a Moscow mule drink, which is a vodka-based drink typically served in a copper cup. She said she made it in the kitchen, she brought it in their bedroom, and Eric drank it while sitting in bed. What was also reported by Corey was that he also took a THC gummy. I have two different reports though. One is said to be an amended court document, and let me tell you, it is a full-time job just going through all the discrepancies in this case and figuring it all out. It's quite annoying. But note, it's interesting that Corey would offer that information to authorities about giving a drink to Eric, don't you think? But let's get into more of what happened. Then Corey stated she went to bed and shortly after she got up and went to sleep with one of the children in their bedroom because the child was having a night terror. Now, Corey told law enforcement when she went to her child's room, she left her phone plugged in next to her bed and didn't take it with her to her child's room. Now remember this as this is an important piece of info we'll get into in a minute. On March 4th, 2022 at 3 a.m., Corey stated she then woke up and went into her and Eric's bedroom. She said she saw Eric and when she touched him, he was cold to the touch and she said then she called 911. At 3.22 a.m., authorities responded to their home at 282 Willow Court for an unresponsive mail. In the other document, it was said that 3.22 a.m. was the 911 call. According to the map, though, there's an ambulance station five minutes away if that's where the ambulance came from. When the responders arrived, they found Eric on the floor at the foot of the bed. Life-saving measures were said to be done or attempted, but Eric was declared deceased. Eric was found dead from a lethal fentanyl overdose. The medical examiner concluded the drug had been orally ingested. His drink was said to be laced with around five times the lethal dose. Fentanyl is estimated to be 80 times as potent as morphine and hundreds of times more potent than heroin. Now, everyone is different in what their symptoms would look like in an overdose and what they would experience. But when someone overdoses on something like that, He'd be experiencing things like breathing is very slow or irregular, or he may not be breathing at all. His fingernails and or lips are blue. The body is limp. There's deep snoring or gurgling sounds. There's loss of consciousness and or passed out. You can't wake the person up. He's unresponsive, which is what Corey said. And there'd be pinpoint or tiny pupils. First, if Corey stated she went into their bedroom at or around 3 a.m., found Eric on the floor, and if it was just a five minute drive away from the ambulance, why did the ambulance arrive at 322? It's a small town, probably not a lot of calls. There could have been, but I do wonder what time that 911 call was actually made and the response time to that call. Also, if Eric had five times the lethal dosage in his system, would he have been on the ground where she found him or did she potentially put him there? What are your thoughts? Let me know below. Now, remember earlier how Corey told law enforcement about leaving her phone plugged in next to her bed while she tended to her child who was having a night terror? Well, she made a little bit of an oopsie. In between when Corey said she went to her child's room and when she called 911, which remember was at around 3 a.m., 
her phone showed it was locked and unlocked multiple times and there was also movement recorded on that phone. Messages were also sent and received during that time and notable, those messages were deleted. So who was on that other end of those text messages and why delete them? And also, just to sit and let this marinate, as Melanie Pulowski says in the Daybell case, picture this. She goes to her child's room, comforts him, as she says. She has allegedly poisoned his cocktail, and she's just scrolling and waiting things to happen, allegedly. And her timeline, I mean, he's fine in bed when she gives him the drink at 9, right? And then she leaves, and by 3 a.m. is when he has problems and he's on the floor unresponsive, which doesn't make sense. When you look up at the information about fentanyl, it says life-threatening effects can occur within two minutes of use, and you increase the risk of overdose if you use fentanyl with alcohol. So not only did Eric have five times the amount of that in his system, but he also mixed it with alcohol. So it's pretty darn convenient, right? And here's the other thing. When Eric drank the Moscow Mule, he could potentially have felt the effects after two minutes, especially with that dosage. And of course, how fast he sips, right? To take it all in. And Corey gave it to him at 9 p.m. So when she said she left the room, he very well could have been dead already. And if he was on the ground and the foot of the bed and on the floor makes it very interesting, doesn't it? I wonder what side of the bed she sleeps on in reference to where the door was or is, I should say. And did she walk over him or did she see him? But the discrepancies don't stop there. Corey told the police that she performed CPR on Eric when she found him on the floor unresponsive. But when the medics and fire crew arrived, they said that it was unlikely she did because there was blood coming from his mouth. Now this was in the document, which is a little weird because I'm not sure if this is a typo or not, but I'm looking into it because to me that statement doesn't make sense. And I called up my ex-husband. As you, many of you know, he's a paramedic and we had a little chit chat. He said, when there are seizures or chest compressions, the patient can get blood in the mouth. And that's what I thought. So I'm not sure where this info came from that she most likely didn't do CPR because it's saying that there's evidence of blood and that's why she didn't. And is that just a translation to the document from the medics to whoever was writing it or what's going on? And if Corey is guilty of what she's being charged with, which is poisoning and killing her husband, then why would she resuscitate a man who she wants to die, right? And why did it take her so long to potentially make that 911 call? Because at max, it'd be 22 minutes to make that call if it was the 911 call or about that 15 minute mark before the ambulance came at that 322. And speaking of faking CPR, what case does this remind you of? This happened with Alex Cox and Charles Vallow in the Daybell case. Alex pretended to give CPR while he was on the phone with the 911 operator and it turns out that that was a lie. He didn't want to give Charles CPR because he wanted Charles dead and he deemed Charles as a zombie and you don't revive a zombie. And if Corey didn't perform CPR and she is in fact guilty of her crimes, why would she revive him? But we can talk about more of that in a minute. So, so far, there's no sign of a public 911 call, but I'd be very interested in hearing that call, wouldn't you? Let me know below. Also that night, 
Corey also reported to first responders that she didn't know where Eric's medications were because the maid just put medications in random places. It was also reported that she told them her husband had a pain pill addiction in high school, but no substance abuse issues since. But friends and family told police they said that they hadn't any idea of Eric being addicted to any form of medicine and officers did not find any painkillers in the family home. So where'd she get the fentanyl? Glad you asked. Corey had a little drug dealer friend, according to documents. Between December of 2021 and February of 2022, which was a month before Eric died, there was a little back and forth communication about drugs. Corey tells the drug dealer friend her investor has a back injury, she needs some prescription pain meds, she gets hydrocodone pills from the dealer. Two weeks later, she said her investor wanted something stronger, so Corey asks for the Michael Jackson stuff. Now, way back in August of 2009, the county coroner uh, said that Michael Jackson died from acute propofol intoxication and there was a whole list of other stuff like lorazepam, diazepam, lidocaine, ephedrine, all that kinds of stuff. Now on February 11th, Corey receives 15 to 30 fentanyl pills for $900. And a few days later, on Valentine's Day, Eric got more than a little love note and a sandwich. Corey gave him one and something made him violently ill. He ended up having to use his son's EpiPen to help him out and then it said that he was passed out and slept it all off. Then about two weeks later on February 26, Corey asks her little drug dealer friend for $900 more worth of fentanyl. And less than a week later, her husband is dead from a fentanyl overdose. I wonder what happened. That drug dealer friend was previously charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute and was said to have admitted to giving Corey the drugs. Now, this was the last attempt made on Eric, and obviously it was successful. But Eric had suspicions that his wife was trying to poison him. There was a trip the couple took a few years before that to Greece. And apparently, Eric's sister got a call from him, and he told her that Corey gave him a drink, and he ended up violently ill. He said he believed that Corey was trying to kill him. Then on Valentine's Day, as I mentioned, three weeks before his death, Corey bought that sandwich with the little love note along with it. And after taking just one bite, he couldn't breathe and his skin broke out in hives. He used his son's EpiPen, took Benadryl, and then passed out for several hours. Now imagine for a moment you're Eric and you're starting to put some things together over time. You drink something that your wife gave you, and something happens. Okay, you pass that off. Then you eat a sandwich that your wife gives you, but this is twice now that you fall violently ill, and now you're starting to wonder, could this be a pattern? You start to notice that there are some odd things happening, like money situations, a lot of secrets, and more on that in a minute. But this series of events are starting to go from impossible to possible. Now, according to prosecutors, the day before Eric died, Corey talked to a money lender and it said that she owed at least $1.8 million and she also had a lengthy phone call to the IRS. 
It said she owed $189,840 in state and federal tax, and she owed Eric that $514,346. But wait, there's more. Let's go back and rewind a bit. If we go back to 2015 to 2017, Corey bought at least four insurance policies against Eric, totaling $2 million, and allegedly without his knowledge. That would be only two years after they got married, and she started that little scandalous journey, allegedly. Here's another eerie parallel to Lori Daybell. Eric consulted divorce and estate attorneys in 2020 and altered his will to remove Corey from it and transferred his estate to his sister and gave his stakes in his stonemasonry business to his business partner. Prosecutors believe that Corey bought these life insurance policies without knowing that Eric made changes to his will and his will was changed to Eric Richen's Living Trust. But what Corey did know about were life insurance policies Eric and the business had and on January 1st, 2022, three months before Eric's death, Corey allegedly tried to remove the business partner from the policy and add herself as the beneficiary of the $2 million price tag, but she failed. And the insurance firm gave Eric the heads up of the change and he was able to reverse it. However, it said that she did file for a $100,000 policy against Eric later that month and cashed it in. Now. There's a, more discrepancies where I saw that Law and Crime talked about a $500,000 policy of Eric's and it just, I don't know, there, it's crazy trying to put this all together. I'm doing the best I can, but holy moly, there's a lot of crapola going on right now. Just when you think it doesn't get crazier, it does. Because just like Lori Daybell, what does one do after their husband is killed? You throw a party, of course. But for Corey, it's an even bigger celebration. There's a big old house where the party was held just outside of town. A 22,000 square foot unfinished home, which also features a 3,000 square foot guest house. And it's a home that's on a 10 acre property. A home that could sleep, it said, up to 60 people. It has 12 rooms. There actually was a video on YouTube that gives you a a concept idea of what this could look like. And that house just happened to be Corey's brand new home as she signed the documents earlier that day of the party and became the new homeowner. It was a $2 million plus dollar deal. It said that this was a house that she dreamed of flipping, but Eric wasn't on board because of the cost. In fact, Eric's family said that Eric planned to tell Corey he didn't want to move forward with the purchase. But she told investigators that the house was already closed and that's why she and Eric were celebrating the night of his death. The party was said to be a large party and that she was drinking and celebrating and just whooping it up. But you gotta wonder, what was she saying to these party goers? Did they know that Eric was dead? It's a small town and usually word gets, you know, around pretty quickly. What were their thoughts on her behavior and where were her kids? Did they know that daddy died the day before or did she tell them? And from the sounds of it, you can't help but think of Lori Daybell. I mean, who has a party and celebrates like that in less than 24 hours? And why aren't you with your children? Or were they there and had no idea what was going on? Now, two weeks after this party, Corey listed the mansion for $4.8 million, but it's said to be currently under contract for $3.75. In other reports, there's a buyer. Now, there are two other reports that happened the same day of that party. 
Corey learned Eric changed the will and power of attorney and assigned this to his sister. And according to a warrant, it says that Corey allegedly punched Eric's sister in the face. In other reports, it was said that Eric's sister went to their home and then began threatening and verbally accosting Corey. Now, the day after the party and two days after Eric's death, Corey allegedly hired a locksmith and they drilled into Eric's safe. And it's reported she took somewhere between $125,000 to $165,000. So now we fast forward to a year after the party, after the death, and Corey decides to write a book with her children to help with grief. It's called, Are You With Me? A description for the book, which was selling for $14.99 on Amazon and it's no longer for sale, states, Are You With Me? And it says, is a must read for any child who has experienced the pain of loss and for parents who want to provide their children with the emotional support they need to heal and grow. And the dedication section of her book read, dedicated to my amazing husband and a wonderful father. As of May 9th, the book had soared into the top 5,000 of Amazon's top book list. And Corey previously stated that there were plans for sequels, including her next title, Mom, How Far Away Is Heaven? Well, doesn't seem far enough, but is it? And if she's convicted, her title would be more like Kids, Mommy's Going to Hell. But when I look at the cover, I do find it interesting. It's just a kid playing soccer, but if you look in the clouds, there's dad cheering. Knowing what we know now and what she's charged with and her lack of remorse from the sounds of it, allegedly in my opinion, by not having any remorse, you know, having a party, lack of emotions, you gotta wonder, is this really a picture of the father cheering for his son or is that picture that she's happy he's in heaven? And take a look at the left, there's five blackbirds, you know, kind of the symbol of death. And the number is the same as the family. It's just interesting, you know, little tidbit. Then came the interview to promote the book. Corey went on a local TV show called Good Things Utah, and she talked about how she wrote this book with her kids after needing something to help with them cope with grief. So my husband passed away unexpectedly last year. So it's March 4th was a one year anniversary for us and um, he was 39. It completely took us all by shock. Um, and we have three little boys, 10, nine and six. And um, you know, we kind of, my kids and I kind of wrote this book on the different emotions and grieving processes that we've experienced last year and you know hoping that it can kind of help other kids you know um, deal with this and kind of you know find happiness some some way or another if she wasn't going to grieve the day after she certainly is not going to grieve a year later i did find the interview quite interesting of course here she's doing the interview. At first I found she sounded a little bit like Letitia Stout for some reason. It just reminded me of her, her, you know, different circumstances, but just the way she talked reminded me of her. One of her patterns in the video was when she eye blocks before she says important points like my husband passed away unexpectedly. It completely took us by shock. Her second book that she was planning to do, Mom, How Far Away Is Heaven, was set to be published by this May. But there's something though that has me concerned Corey was going to work on different variations of that book where the main character is a girl who lost her mother. And then here's the concerning part for me was where she said there was going to be one where a child has lost a sibling, which is very disconcerting in my opinion. It makes me immediately wonder about the kids 
And was there one child closer to the father than Corey? Also remember how I talked about the discrepancy in reports? Well, the amended report talked about Corey securing more fentanyl and that was just days after Eric's death. She secured another 15 to 30 pills. Why? Was it that she wanted to secure the theory that perhaps there were pills around the house that she just didn't know and poof, she found them? Or were there plans for other things or people? And new reports also show that at the time of Eric's death, Corey allegedly owed nearly $190,000 in state and federal taxes, 1.847 to lenders and the additional 514,000 to Eric. And just before, Corey was arrested on May 8th, she posted a video on Facebook speaking about how much she missed her late husband. She said, life is just so hard without you here. The cards I have been dealt seems like a game that just can't be played. Immediately that gives me Trizelle and Jacqueline West vibes. I did a statement analysis breakdown and one of the things that Trizelle said was that's how it all played out. And from the sounds of the evidence that's stacking up against Corey, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a game that she's able to play or keep up on. Notable, her Facebook post has since been removed, as with many of her other posts on all her social media accounts, which is typical in a lot of cases of potential suspects, and they go and delete their social media. She was arrested on May 8th, 2023, 14 months after the murder. She was charged with first degree aggravated murder and she had three charges of possession of a controlled substance with an intent to distribute, one of which was GHB and again confusion as there's no mention of fentanyl in there. I'm a little confused. I'm pretty sure it's not the same drug so I'm confused as to why it doesn't have fentanyl set in there. If you know that answer can you let me know below? I, this make me bananas the last few days trying to sort through the BS. So Corey's court is on June 12th, 2023. Her kids are said to be with Eric's sister, their aunt who maintains legal guardianship over them. Now, I don't understand how murder is part of the option to separate these days. I mean, forget about divorcing. They think too much of a hassle. I know, let's drug him and kill him and get money, yay. And imagine being Corey. I already talked about imagine from Eric's point of view. But with Corey, if she did this, and if the reports of her making an attempt on Eric's life before is true, then she's learning what works and what doesn't. It's like a little science test. And imagine being Corey, attempt after attempt, if it's true, and she doesn't have any moment allegedly where she goes, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't right. Who has a party a day after their husband dies? Besides Lori Daybell and Corey. And a stumper to me is why did she tell the authorities that she gave the drink to Eric? In her mind, did she think it would strengthen the theory that maybe he drugged the drink himself? And if Eric had suspicions of his wife, why did he go ahead and drink the drink? Did he think, oh, she's being extra nice, maybe she's not going to, or he already had suspicions, so why go ahead? And imagine being the kids, especially the older one because of the awareness factor, right? Dad dies, then mom goes to jail for it. If that's not traumatic, also, it could have been a helpful healing book for millions of people had it not been written under the circumstances like being written by an alleged murderer. And although it's a very sad story, it seems as though it's a positive thing for the fact that she's not around her children, as painful as that may be for them. There's a reason why she was buying more fentanyl. What was the reason?
Now, why does it always seem to be in small towns that this goes on? Here's what you can watch next, and you can check out the videos down below in the description box. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next video.